Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of friends explore movies through trivia. I'm one of these friends, KJ, and with me is... Tom. And I'm Chris. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with four rapid-fire trivia questions and possibly a few bonus questions. Audience, feel free to play along from home. The first question is worth one point, and each question after that is worth one more point. Then we'll follow it up with our famous movie rant, Where Anything Goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Walking up to theaters in 2008, we would have had to choose between Barbie in a Christmas Carol, Slumdog Millionaire, Quantum of Solace, the first Twilight movie, Transporter 3, Frost Nixon, The Reader, Time Crimes, Gran Torino, and today's movie, The Wrestler. Chris will be our questionnaire today. Chris, what is The Wrestler all about? Wrestler follows the story of an aging professional wrestler known as The Ram, played by Mickey Rourke. As his professional wrestling career begins to fade due to a sudden illness, he tries to make real human connections with the few people he has ties to. In the seemingly tragic end, The Ram returns to the only family he knows, but at what cost? It's time for question one. We're going to start off nice and easy. Question number one. The Ram. What is his actual given name? Locked in. Locked in, but I don't think I have all of it. <laughs> all right, KJ. Let's see what let's see what portion of you you have. I, I think his given first name is Robin. And I cannot remember the rest, so Robin Robinson. All right. What what about you, Tom? I have Robin. Reminowski. I think we're going to give the points to Tom a little bit here because it was it was Robin. Uh, I was looking for Randy Robinson though because that was actually what was on all the billboards in the very beginning of the movie. It was Ro- Randy the Ra- Randy the Ram Robinson was oh, his th- was his stage name. And then when he works at the Acme, we find out that his name is Robin. Uh, I thought it was like Reminowski. I thought it was a. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think they talk about that in the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. But, all right, so we're going to give the points to Tom on that one. It's time for question two. What is the name of the Rams finishing move that he uses when he finishes off his opponents in the ring? Oh, yeah, I got it. Locked in. So I, I mentioned last week, I'm, I haven't watched a lot of wrestling, but I've played a few video games. And um, we, we had a friend in high school that would do wrestling trivia during lunch. He, he'd write it all out and he'd bring this thing. And then you, you want a dollar, actually. I don't know if his mom knew that, but... um. <laughs> So I'm just trying to think of other wrestling moves that I know. Um, so I guess I'm locked in. All right, let's switch it up. Let's go with Tom first. What do you got, Tom? I had the Ram Jam. What about you, KJ? Oh, that's probably right. I just had Pile Driver. It was indeed called the Ram Jam. Ram he actually Ram. got on the, the top rope and did some sort of a modified <laughs> headbutt slash elbow drop. Glorious, glorious move. It's time for question three. One of the Rams' biggest nemesis during his career was called the Ayatollah. What was the real name of the Ayatollah that we hear later on in the film? Oh, God. I think I know his first name. I can't remember his last name. Just the first name is good enough. I think I'll I'll lock in. I think I know the first name. I have no idea. I'll lock in, I guess. All right, Tom, what do you got? I thought it was Pete. What about you, KJ? Sam? 
unfortunately nobody's going to get these oh. points because his first name was actually Bob. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, I thought it was so funny oh, yeah. that hey, the Bob. Ayatollah was named Bob. Mm-hmm. That's right. He says, "Hey Bob, let's talk through some of the moves." Yeah, because I, I was trying to remember. Like, um, I don't think Bleep wants to give up his used car business in Arizona. I was like, I think it's Pete. But... Yeah. As we approach our fourth and final question, Tom is in the lead with three. KJ currently has zero, but this question being worth four means that it's still anybody's game. It's time for question four. This question is a little harder, especially because I don't think either of you watch professional wrestling. So we'll keep the we'll keep oh, it to no. just simply the movie canon. <laughs> prior to prior to the Ram having his heart attack in the back of the locker room, he was wrestling for an outfit where they did extreme wrestling. What was the three letter designation of that wrestling outfit called? I'll, I'm going to make up some letters. So I'll put them together. There'll be three of them. I could lock that in. Uh, you know, I. It's on the tip of my tongue. I I want to say it's the same people that put together the um, alternate NFL. It was like indoor football. It was like the XFL. So what is it? So it was the WWF for a while. It was the WWE. I'll say the WWX. Well, I'll lock in. I'll lock in. All right, KJ. So what are you going to lock in <laughs> yeah, with? With the WWX. <laughs> All right, Tom, what do you got? I was going to do something along um, the same lines. Uh, XWS. All right. So in this case, unfortunately, both of you are incorrect. This one was CZW were the designations that were on the mats and all the signage that were around the uh, around the arena. I assume that it's actually based on the ECW, which was a real extreme wrestling organization Uh, in Philadelphia in the 90s uh, that actually kind of folded into the WWE later on. All right. What do you say we do a couple of a couple of extra questions? Because these were a little bit. These are a little, they landed a little flat. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to get some points on the board. (laughs) It's time for a bonus question. All right. So for KJ to win the game, let's go with this one. The last big match. What city was it being held in that he had to drive to? Oh, locked in. Man, you guys are going to think I didn't watch the movie. Um, I'll lock in. KJ, what do you got? In my head, it was Chicago. What about you, Tom? Uh, Wasn't it? No. Oh, I locked in the wrong one. Oh, but I locked in. Ah, so I'll tell you, I think it was Wilmington, but I locked in Trenton. Was it Wilmington? The answer is Wilmington, Delaware. Yeah. Ah. Trenton is where uh, Marissa Tomei's character was moving to. Yeah. All right. So I think I think we can be safe to assume that Nick has won this episode. But one (laughs) one final question. All right. Let's go for it. All right. This one's a little bit tricky. What year is this movie set in? Oh, um, I locked in. I'm trying to think of something to to tie it down because I don't feel like they didn't have cell phones, but they were using payphones quite a bit. I think they give. I think if you do the math, you get the year. If you do the math, yeah, because they they tell you at one point, blah blah blah. Years later. Oh, oh. Yeah, I'd have no idea. Um, I guess locked in with a guess. All right, KJ. In order to come up one point short of Nick, <laughs> what do you got? Um, I'm gonna go 2003. What about you, Tom? I thought it was 2008. I thought it was 20 years after the 1988 match. It was exactly 20 years because that was the reason for the rematch. However, in the opening crawl, when you see them going over all the posters, that that match was in two. That was in 1989. 
So oh. this movie was actually set in in 2009, one year after the movie was actually released, which was interesting. Wow. Hmm. All right. Well, I'd like to congratulate Nick for winning once yeah. again another episode. This well is what done. three weeks in a row, four weeks in a row. Who knows? Yeah. And Tom for a valiant second place. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I bow to not Nick. A care. He yeah, is. He's, he's never had this kind of winning streak before. I don't think. <laughs> no, he has not. <laughs> well, stay tuned for our main event movie rant coming up right after this break. Join another Talking Studios production, Limited Lexicon, where we play through text-based adventure games. Text-based adventure games were computer games from before computers had graphics. The game uses text to describe a scene, and the player types back how they want to interact with the game. I'll read the text from the computer, and my co-host will feed me commands. This season, we're playing through The Hobbit from 1982 on the ZX Spectrum. Here's a quick sample. I thought uh, a lot about our first command, and I think it should be no print because we don't want to print things as we're going along. I think by default, it's not going to print. And even <laughs> if I did print, I, where is it going to print to? 1982? I, I would imagine if we go west, we're going to be south of the troll, right? Just south of the troll land. Yeah, let's try it. You go west. The troll's clearing. The visible. Oh, we died. <laughs> 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 all right the troll the troll saw us and killed us so i think we have to say the answer to the riddle then the answer is dark say dark i think talk to what Golem. Gollum. say Gollum. dark you talk to Gollum. thorin says hurry up and we died and we died so we went northeast last time so let's go southwest you go southwest. Visible exits are north, northwest. You see the valuable golden ring. Oh, wow. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. that's oh, perfect. That's wow. perfect. Limited lexicon coming to your podcatcher and YouTube in late 2022 by Talking Studios. And we're back. So I wanted to watch this movie because I was a huge wrestling fan in the early 90s. So like I was probably, I don't know, 10, 11 ish, maybe, maybe a little later than some. But I remember watching wrestling on TV before it was actually the Attitude Era with Stone Cold and The Rock and all the people that have now gone on to other things. I was watching it back when it was like the Ultimate Warrior and the Macho Man and, and people like that that have had unfortunately tragic endings. I only bring that up because I remember going to some of the house shows, like the ones that are pictured here in the film. Uh, and as a young kid who was oblivious to literally everything, even I kind of felt the sadness in those rooms. Uh, there was an old one right by my house called the Monster Factory. It was in South, like South, South Jersey. And I saw people like King Kong Bundy and Nikolai, uh, Nikolai Volkov, <laughs> if you remember those names from your video game time, KJ. <laughs> I don't know if they made uh, the Super uh, they, NES game WWF for all. <laughs> they probably didn't. But nonetheless, I, I, I really, this movie grabbed me because of that connection to my childhood. And it was not in a positive way either. Like I really felt bad for those older aging wrestlers who were no longer in the big show. They were no longer on the WWE, WWF at the time, no longer in the WCW, which was kind of uh, blossoming as well. They were doing a, a, a little rinky dink high school show in South Jersey for probably like 200, 300 bucks just to kind of make the rent. And this movie kind of encapsulated that story for me in a way that was 
very moving, I thought. Like, not in a good way. Like, I felt really bad for all the characters here. So, Chris, when you went to these house wrestling, was it like the white tile and wood paneling? Like, did it have that same feel, folding chairs? What was the crowd like? So it was definitely, so the one that I remember going to a couple times, it was actually a wrestling school. There was a wrestling oh. school in South Jersey called the Monster Factory, which has moved around and switched hands and done things. It was much more shady at the time. It was like at an old, old decrepit, like flea market strip mall kind of thing. Mm. It was the only thing that was still there. You had to drive around the back of this abandoned basically you know monument to consumerism and then you would go into this like really dimly lit auditorium and there'd be folding chairs and the metal barriers around and just a single solitary ring in the center and unlike unlike watching professional wrestling where they would walk down an aisle and they'd strut their stuff and their music would be blaring like it was literally like they would open up the kitchen door and then they would walk (laughs) to the ring get in they'd fight for seven ten fifteen minutes and then they would you know sit at their table selling t-shirts and autographs and and polaroids just like in the movie it it felt like so true to form and -hmm. i remember walking into like those autograph sessions where it's literally like in the 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 american legion parking lot and it's like six Mm -hmm. tables in a circle and a bunch of you know people who on tv looked like superheroes that now looked very very worn out Mm -hmm. and tired and it was it brought me back to a sadness that I didn't know I knew about, but they kind of like reawakened it in me, I guess. And who did you go with? Who was taking you to these? So my parents were wrestling fans when they lived oh, in awesome. Florida. So when I started to take an interest in it, because they WWF did something really, really fun. They started to put the wrestling show on after Saturday morning cartoons. Oh. And it wasn't a great show, but it was, you know, Saturday morning cartoon, 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 wrestling, and then American Gladiators. <laughs> so I was up for the cartoons. I enjoyed wrestling. I enjoyed American Gladiators. So I was I was forced to watch this this the schlock in the for the hour in between. And eventually you fall in love with it. You follow with the characters and the stories and these flamboyant uh, personalities that they are. And even though half the show is just them yelling at a camera. If for whatever reason, it spoke to a, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old, 11 year old person at the time. And it kind of like sinks its teeth in. And then at that point, that was when the WWF really took off when, you know, the the Bret Hart's and the Triple H's, they, they started to show up and Stone Cold Steve Austin names that maybe you guys don't recognize, but other wrestling fans will like that's when they started to jump in. And it got really, really popular for for the for the mid to late 90s now I, I remember stone cold steve austin because there was a uh, my friend um babo he had a, a playstation and one of the first maybe wrestling games on the playstation started with a full motion video of uh stone cold steve austin i forget what his shtick was was it like it wasn't the bible but he would like he drink cores was that mm, it you not drink, in the like, video game oh. <laughs> Everybody like drinking beer, right? Yeah, so he, he he had this whole rant against a guy where yeah, the, the Jake the Snake Roberts, who I think that you're familiar with, Jake the Snake Roberts had gone through this transition to being like a, a good Christian and trying to be a good guy in the wrestling scene. And Stone Cold beat him in a match and actually made a, a joke on his faith and said, you know, you have your... I forget what passages was Job three sixteen or something like that, and he's like, "Well, this is Stone Cold three sixteen, and I That's just whipped your ass." Yep, yep. So like that was the whole transition to him being just a uh, basically it was, was kind of like a taking the old guard out because you know 
Jake the Snake had been a, a popular wrestler in the 80s, and the new guard beat him and was taking over the reins as they moved into what was de- what was deemed the Attitude Era afterwards, because that's when they started cursing and mm-hmm. drinking beer on TV and Stone Cold to flip everybody off and <laughs> questionable whether or not a, a you know a preteen should have been watching it, but you know, <laughs> fun nonetheless. Wikipedia says the wrestler is based on Jake the Snake. That uh, Randy the Ram is mostly it, it parallels Jake the Snake's career. That's interesting. I, I didn't realize. That. I I felt more of a Macho Man, but that's just that's that's me. I don't know. I guess Macho Man never really fell that far down the rabbit hole. So maybe maybe Jake the Snake does fit. Did Jake the Snake fall down that rabbit hole very far? I don't know Jake the Snake's full story. I know he had some troubles with alcohol. He comes from a, like a really big wrestling family. And there were family issues and, and other things like that. Uh, for anybody that's interested in wrestling, you should definitely watch a show on Vice. It's called Dark Side of the Ring. It gives you stories behind the scenes, kind of like the wrestler, the kind of like the movie did, but f- like legitimately truthful from the mouths of the people that, that lived through it. And uh, he was one of the people that was actually featured on one of those episodes where it talked about, you know, the trials and tribulations of being a gladiator in the arena and then having to go and live a normal life when your days as a gladiator are over. And that's kind of what I feel like this movie showed. One question I, I guess I have for Chris with this that I was, I was a little confused about with the movie is Randy's relative fame. Like I certainly get a guy like that could blow through all his money. But my understanding is he had a million and a half viewers on pay-per-view when he fought the Ayatollah back in 1989. Um, but now he, he seems to be like you know one of these guys in the american legion with like eight other guys signing autographs for maybe not a large audience is that pretty standard at in in the like 1980s thing where you go from having a video game made about you to like being a guy in a basement i I feel like it's very much like early early sports stars like they don't know how to handle their money they're not getting paid the same like today's WWE athletes, I'm sure, you know, they take all their money and save it, invest it. They're opening restaurants. They're putting their name on things. Their contracts are structured to give them a piece of the pie when it comes to merchandising. But I think in the 80s, it was a completely different business. It was more of a work for hire kind of thing. Like you can work here or you can work nowhere. What do you want to do? I'm going to pay you next to nothing and you're going to you're going to live this lifestyle. So there was that. And then if you if you listen to it, because that's another thing this movie got right. Like when you listen to wrestlers talk about their lives, in fact, I have the Blu-ray for this movie. So there's actually a special featurette that has five professional wrestlers talking about how good the movie is at getting the lifestyle correct of that early 80s era of wrestlers. Like they would literally get done with their matches. They would drive to whatever the local strip club was that night. They would piss away all their money on, you know, you know, the, the strippers in the building and booze and and kind of like soak their pains away. And then they would just rinse and repeat. So they weren't really they weren't in the mindset of saving. They were just so amped up with the adrenaline of the evening that they were not thinking fiscally responsibly either. And they kind of like let themselves fall like I'm, I'm a god. I will live forever and I will always be able to do this kind of mentality. And then all of a sudden, one thing happens, whether it's a heart attack or an injury, and then they're put on the shelf. And then once they're out of the zeitgeist of the wrestling world, they don't get a chance to come back. And that's kind of how they end up being in these these smaller outfits. And they can work their way up maybe, but probably most of the time the new kid down the block who's you know perfectly fit takes their spot. Yeah, I, I so even a person who's 
getting that kind of attention um, at like a pay-per-view channel. Like I imagine having a million and a half viewers in 1989 is an incredible amount of fame. You know, like I, I'm thinking like that's sort of Hulk Hogan level fame for this type of thing. Even that person, it's not so much an issue of like, do they blow away their money or not? But it was just like, he's so, he seems so famous, but at the same time, like doesn't really like the doesn't really manage the fame very well like like people aren't that attentive to him they seem to recognize him but like when he does autograph sessions or whatnot it's like in you know it's it's there's not that much attention or there's not that much flair um is that kind of uh is that kind of I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say. Are, are you asking about like flair from his perspective or flair from the fans perspective? Well, would that kind of fame evaporate that quickly? Like he seemed like he was the top of this game whenever it was. Um, and now when we're seeing him, it's few people recognize him. Um, uh, and he's really at the bottom of the barrel in terms of fame. Um I don't know. Would would somebody fall that low in that in that context? Well, Tom, I I think you might be giving him a little bit of credit for getting that high. I I mm, imagine they're about maybe. as famous as a soap opera actress. Okay, actor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that a good comparison? I mean, they might be a little bit more well known, but I also think we're thinking of the the wrestlers that we remember because they were in video games and they were on TV and they were in like Hulk Hogan was in movies. Mm. Uh, I think this wrestler is supposed to be the generation right before. Okay. We're like, these were the guys that were wrestling in their prime when Hulk Hogan broke in. Like Hulk Hogan broke the mold and became wrestling and he was unanimous with it. But who did who did Hulk Hogan wrestle in WrestleMania three? Like like who did who did it who was the undercard when Hulk Hogan slammed Andre the Giant? Nobody knows. Like Ronnie Roddy Piper. No, I have no idea. <laughs> but I mean like exactly. Like if you ask the if you ask a general person who Rowdy Roddy Piper is they might not know who it is. Right. I don't know. Who that is. <laughs> and I think that's I think that's kind of what this is. I think like Rowdy Roddy Piper would have been a big draw in the 80s. And now, you know, he's unfortunately, I believe, passed away. And now nobody kind of remembers him. Hmm. Yeah. I, I I I also I don't know, I guess, but actually I know I don't know. But in the 80s, I imagine it was kind of like the circus. Like you were paid like the guys in the circus. Sure, you were putting on a show, and for the circus, you were probably pretty famous. But I, there's probably 50 other wrestlers wanting to get into the ring. So if you asked for more money or demanded more, sure, you're a big draw right now. But are you, is, is Jake the Snake that much more of a draw than Roddy Roddy Piper or the next guy that we've never heard of? Or, or are the fans going to be just as happy with whoever else came into the ring? Because a lot of the stories and stuff are staged, right? That's the the entertainment value is also okay. You're gonna win this match. I'm gonna lose this match. So the next match, I can do a comeback. So all that is scripted, kind of like you know reality TV or something. Mm-hmm. So it didn't really matter who you were, as long as whoever's running the wrestling show had the right characters to tell the story. It it was really different in the '80s too, because there were there were territories. So now we know of the WWE, like that is the be all end all of wrestling. And there's a couple like AEW is is a wrestling outfit that's very new. But back in the 70s and 80s, there were territorial wrestlers. So there was a big territorial wrestling agency in Tennessee. There was a big one in Florida. There was a big one in the Northeast that just so happened to be the WWF. 
they all kind of work. So if you got fired from WWF, you might move to Tennessee and never be heard of again in the Northeast. There were no such things as like cable television at the time. Like if you moved to Tennessee and wrestled there, you were wrestling for Jerry Lawler, who you might not know, but he was a huge deal in the nineties and in the early eighties or late eighties. So I, I think there's also that kind of little bit that they don't talk about. I think that, I think this movie, they're telling you that, you know, the WWF, you know what wrestling is. And I think that's where they kind of, they kind of bookend it. What did you guys think about the the parallels between Marissa Tomei's character and Mickey Rourke's character? I found her character to be underwritten, so I don't think there was a lot there. I think she does a lot with it. It's it's interesting because for her, she's also getting older and is therefore not able to um, make as much money as she used to and has to kind of move on to find something else. Now, this, of course, belies the fact that Marissa Tomei is probably the most beautiful woman in that room, but whatever, <laughs> we'll put that aside for the, for the time being. Seriously. Yeah. The, I think the difference, though, is that for Marissa Tomei isn't a craftswoman. She's not an artist. She's doing this Whoa. because... She... <laughs> I don't know. Her, no, her character, rather. I, that... I, no, I would I would say that individuals that work in that industry would consider what they do an art form. I, I think individuals will. I don't think we see the evidence that this particular character does. Okay. Right? I, I'm not, this is not a comment on strippers or striptease. It's, I don't, I see with her, she's doing this to make money and she is um, eager to move on to Trenton. That's why she's getting a thing in Trenton, right? She's ready to leave Cheeks, the strip club. And um, it's just not a passion for her in the way that wrestling is a passion for him. It's really the story of an artist. Uh, and this is why it's a companion piece to Black Swan, which is also the story of, of an artist. And I think that's the difference there. And I think that's why she is able to walk away from stripping as she does at the end and go to him and say, let's do something as, as a couple, as a relationship. And in the end, he can't because his identity is that he's an artist. And when he no longer can be an artist, i.e. a wrestler, he's nothing. He doesn't even have his name anymore. He goes from Randy to Robin, which is an identity that is nothing. There's nothing there. Robin is not a person. Nobody, it's a, it's a name tag. Um, nobody cares about him on the outside. Marissa Tomei, people do. She has a son. Well, there, there was a parallel with her name as well, though, right? Because he says, what should I call you? So she's also has a bit of a, a name thing. Yeah, she does the whole as she's leaving the club for the last time, she's like, Yeah, Pam. Like like she's like she's embracing that uh that change of that that kind of like I'm definitely gonna retire from from this lifestyle. Cause if it it didn't dawn on me the first time I watched it because I was so laser focused on the wrestler the wrestler of it all. But like they really feel like they did a good job in kind of giving you both sides. Like these are two individuals who are basically using I don't this is sound bad, so don't take it that way, please. But they're using their bodies to make a living. Like she's using her body in a different way. He's using his body in a destructive way almost. But that's how they have gotten through life and made their their money in their early years. And now it's kind of like a transition. And I I, I found myself focusing on the Marissa Tomei character more this time just because I it dawned on me that she's going through the same thing he is. And I agree with Tom that maybe it wasn't as fleshed out as it could have been. And she wasn't given a whole lot to work with. Maybe there was more on the cutting room floor that we never saw, but like it, I felt for her, I felt bad for her too. Like she was going through the same kind of transitional period of life 
that the wrestler was Mickey Rourke was doing at the same time. And it was kind of kind of in the background. Yeah, I think she's going through. The, I, I think it's this middle age thing when you're a, a physical person, when you're making your money using your body, which, I, you know, a ballerina also makes their money using their body. Right. It, this is not a, you know, a, a lascivious comment or anything like that then yeah, you reach a certain point where you just can't do this anymore. That's why base, there's not many 40-year-old baseball players either. Um, I think what this what this movie does really well, and I think Chris, you've touched on it a lot, is that we get the sense of what it means to be a wrestler, which is to be an artist or maybe even a guild member. And we get a kind of sense of the guild when the wrestlers are all together and discussing, like, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to... How are we going to stage this? When Randy comes into the back room and everybody applauds, you get a sense that this is the senior guild member, the senior artisan. And these apprentices or more junior artisans are appreciating their, their senior craftsmen. I don't necessarily have that view with Marissa Tomei's character. And it may be because it's just, it wasn't developed, right? We don't see her really with the other strippers um, we don't really see her discussing stripping. She really just seems to be a person who's getting on in years and needs to do something else. And, you know, she also seems more mature. She's able to accept that. Um, and I think maybe it's because she's got less invested than Randy does. But this also might be a flaw with the movie. It's just she's not developed as much. Well, I'd like to once again congratulate Talking Pictures Trivia's own Marissa Tomei, Nick, as the winner of the week. Congratulations, Nick. Nicely done. You can rate and review this show anywhere podcasts are available. For those viewing in YouTube land, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the Talking Studios channel for all our exciting content, and follow us on Twitter at Talking Studios. Check out other shows by Talking Studios, including Keep Making Movies, where we explore micro-budget films, Limited Lexicon, where we play through text-based adventure games, and Get the Point, where we slowly reveal a movie poster and try to guess which movie poster it is. Got a question for us? Call the Talking Studios hotline at 201-467-8679 and leave a message. It may be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Talking Pictures Trivia wherever fine podcasts are found. Join us next week when we discuss Vanya on 42nd Street from 1994. Stay tuned for our first impressions of Vanya on 42nd Street. Ding, 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 ding. Next week, we'll be discussing Vanya on 42nd Street from 1994. Pat, how was your watch? Um, so I've seen this movie before. I saw it. Tom and I, um, I can't actually remember. Tom and I saw this definitely in college, but I can't remember because we were both in a Chekhov play together in college. So I can't remember if we watched the movie as part of the Chekhov play or whether we watched it as part of the American or the drama class we were taking at the same time. But either way, we both watched it the, at least then um for that situation but um so i'd seen it before um at least this time when i saw it in college i remember being very sleep deprived and especially in the second act when it gets very quiet and very dark and they get very whispery i do remember almost falling asleep quite frequently but 
Uh, this time around, I feel more enlightened and I feel more aware. But I do. I I've seen um, a lot of Chekhov plays. Like I think I've seen all of his major plays at least twice, like in in live productions, and I've seen even some of his other ones. So I, I'm fairly familiar with Chekhov in general. So I had seen the movie. I've seen Chekhov, and I feel like even watching it this time, like I think this is one of the better actual stage adaptation like sir or film adaptations of a stage play um like this isn't just like they film they made a like a movie out of the play this is like a filmed play uh which i think is a little bit different um and i think this is probably one of the better of that that kind of genre um so that's that was my take on it uh tom what about you was your what was your take on it i also saw this play in college and yes i was in the seagull with you back in when whatever year it was 2005 i think or something like that, that. was 2005 yeah yeah 2005. yeah 2005 it was some time ago at this point and um i don't remember if yeah I, like you i don't remember if we watched for that or for the, the theater class or for whatever reason uh but i yes liked it back then and i've watched a few times since then and um it is, I think it's a top 10 movie for me. I think it's on my my list there. And it's become more meaningful as I've gotten older. I'm in the, the month of my 40th birthday. And this play at, speaks to that milestone in not necessarily um, uplifting ways, let's say. And so as I've gotten older, this play has become more meaningful. And I agree with you. I think it is probably the best version of like a filmed play that's out there you know mostly they're just you're just getting a camera on a good production and it never exactly translates well louis mall the director of this did a pretty great job translating it to to the the screen so i've loved this movie for whew, almost 20 years now i guess we're, we're approaching the 20th year anniversary of of us doing the sequel and i yeah and it's if anything, become more meaningful. And like you, Pat, I've also I've seen a lot of Chekhov and I've read through a lot of Chekhov also. So like Chekhov more broadly has been um, been an important writer to me. KJ, how was your first watch? Well, I wasn't in the sequel with uh, Tom and Pat, but I was in the sequel too. Um, he's a hermit crab in that one. So it's, you know, it's it's just as good. Audience, Um I've never seen a Chekhov play. I've never read a Chekhov play. I've never experienced a Chekhov play. I've heard of Chekhov's gun. I've seen the original series of Star Trek. That is as close to Chekhov as I've gotten. This movie is a play. It's framed as something different, but you are just watching the play. So from the beginning, you need to pay attention to the play or else the whole thing will be lost on you. I, I don't know what else to say apart from don't let this all be lost on you or else you'll end up like me. And we'll see how we do next week with these questions. Vanya on 42nd Street is available on YouTube as a full movie. I'm not really sure the rules there, but it's there and you can watch it at least at the time of this recording. See you next week. Wow. Talking Studios. 